Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, praise you, love you, honor you, appreciate you. Thank you for all that you mean. And uh, we appreciate your grace and your goodness in all that you do toward us. So God, we ask that you would bless this time of gathering and learning and studying and give us the wisdom that we need and the clarity and the understanding that we need. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is what we discussed on Sunday. And uh, we're going to go back over it and try to get some more insight. And that's kind of what we've been uh, doing with our Bible studies. But the focus was on this. It was actually on goodness. God's goodness is overwhelming goodness. And so uh, how, how does that relate to us today? What does that mean for us today to think about and walk in God's goodness? And so we call it mm-mm good because he is that good. So looking at uh, some synonyms we have for goodness, this I think will help us as we um, navigate what it looks like to walk in the goodness of God. So Let's go here. Kindness, benevolence, tenderness, warmth, affection, love, goodwill. All these things are things that describe God and his goodness. Sympathy, compassion, care, concern, understanding, tolerance, patience, generosity, charitableness, leniency. I do want to make a point on leniency just uh, for a second before we move on. When you look at uh, how lenient God is, meaning when we should have been punished, he gave us mercy and leniency, and that's part of his goodness. So many times we talk about a God that has wrath and a God that punishes, but we forget that there's a goodness portion of God that is actually lenient and is based on his kindness. Let's go back uh, to it. Let's say his care, concern, understanding, tolerance, patience, generosity, charitableness, leniency, helpfulness, considerateness, thoughtfulness, and graciousness. So all those things reflect God and his goodness toward us. And it's it's interesting when you think about God and his goodness toward us and his kindness and his love and all those things that we were trying to bring up. When we think about that, it's hard for us to fathom it many times because we have only been taught again about his wrath, his power, his punishment, hell, judgment. And those things are still portions of who God is or who God can be. But when we think of our covenant with God, which we will get to later, we think of the fact that he is covenant with us out of his goodness. And his goodness uh, comes from the fact that he wanted to have a family. He wanted us to be in family relationship with him. So when we think of God, we must think of God as father, Jesus as our brother, Holy Spirit, really actually as the mothering, nurturing spirit. So we are in the family of God. And think about this. We're going to go back to those for a second, but think about these, how you treat the, a stranger. You may be kind, you may be gentle to a stranger, but how do you treat them versus your own children? How do you treat them versus your own mother, father? So there's a different relationship you have with mother and father than you have with stranger. You may be kind and gentle towards strangers, but that super goodness and leniency, that comes out of relationships, family relationships. So let's go back and look at that and think of ourselves as being a part of the family of God, the body of Christ, and understand that God's goodness is something that we don't deserve but being part of his family, it just makes sense for him to be good to us. So that's why it's important for us to press to be in his family by believing in his son. So let's go back to that again. All right. God being kind to us and benevolent and tender. 
and warmth and affection. Think about the holidays. Think about the warmth and affection that you find in families on holidays and how um, mother and father have gone out of their way to make sure that the children have what they need to have a great holiday or a great vacation. Once we think about God as our father and we are in his family, then his goodness towards us makes sense. Even though we don't deserve it, we understand that it's part of the relationship that we have with him. So what we're always trying to do is move out of religion and into relationship. Let's go back to this again. In religion, then, okay, we can understand God being kind to us in religion, but then his benevolence and his tenderness. Some people don't understand God being tender when you think of it from religious uh, perspective. And then warmth, affection, goodwill. What about sympathy and compassion? Religion doesn't understand God's sympathy and compassion because how religion understands it is God is all powerful. He's all knowing. We are humans. We are nothing but human peons. He doesn't have to at any point show us sympathy and compassion. And that is true. He doesn't have to show us his sympathy and he doesn't have to show us his compassion. However, when you get out of religion thinking and get into relationship thinking, and realize that God is in a relationship with his children, then his sympathy and his compassion, it actually makes sense. It's a part of his character. It's a part of who he is. Even when we make mistakes, he wants to show us sympathy. He wants to show us compassion. He doesn't always want to reach for the lightning bolt and reach for the judgment and reach for the wrath all of a sudden. He may have to get there over time if we keep rejecting him, but his initial response to us is always out of his love, which is related to us as God's goodness, his goodness. All right. So before we we, we uh, move on, I, I do want to make this point uh, clear. I, I've seen something that I think is pretty powerful that while you're uh, liking and sharing and remembering that I'm going to uh, pull up what Sister Francis said. Of course, she said, uh, good evening, but la later on, I, I see where she said, and see, I guess see if I can find it on here. Well, okay, actually, it was Sister Hattie. That's who said it. He gave his only begotten son for us. So that makes a lot of sense to think about God being good, because the scripture said if he would freely give up his son, wouldn't he freely give up all things? So here's the thing. God had a son, but he wanted a family. So he gave up his son in order to get a family. We are the family. So if he traded in his son, allowed his son to die so that we would become family, wouldn't it make sense for him to show us kindness, benevolence, tenderness? After all, we're part of his family. He paid a high price for us. So sympathy, compassion, care, concern, understanding, tolerance, patience, generosity, charitableness, leniency, helpfulness, considerateness, thoughtfulness, and graciousness, all those things, it would make sense that God would bestow those things on us. So people who don't have a good relationship with God, they always think God is out to get me. God is out to punish me. I'm in trouble with God. You can be in God's family and get in trouble with God. Yes, but that's not the initial starting place. That's not how God wants to view it every single day. You're not getting in trouble with God. Often he wants to show us his goodness. And so that's why we have been teaching this to show you that God's first and initial response to you is to be good to you. He loved us while we were yet sinners. But when we decide to get close to him and we decide to accept his son into our life and we decide to walk this thing out called salvation and being a Christian, then don't you think that moves us up a notch to where God really wants to give his goodness to us? We're not just like the average sinner on the street. God loves everybody, including the average sinner on the street. But now that we are in relationship with him and we're part of the family, don't you understand that his goodness really is for us? Now, of course, He's going to be good to everybody that he can, but some people do walk in wickedness. And then there's people like us who we attempt and try 
to live a godly life. We may not always get it right, but if we're at least trying, don't you understand that God really will bestow his goodness upon us because we are trying to be in relationship with him? All right, so setting all that up, let's move into the first point from Sunday, and that was this, goodness and correction. We're going to look at this verse, Romans 2 and 4. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Let's look at it in another version, the NIV. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? So one of the reasons why God shows us his kindness is so that it would lead us to repentance, to cause us to change our mind and have a turn. So that is how we initially get into the family of God is we repent. We have a change of mind and we realize, hey, I want to be closer to God. And God showed us his goodness, even when we were sinners, to get us to repent, to make a turn. Repent means really means to change our mind. At one point we were going without God saying, I don't need God. Another uh, time we're repenting, returning, we're making a shift, a change, and we're moving in that direction. And that's what his goodness is designed to do. Now, if his goodness was designed to do that when we were in sin, now that we come over and we're part of the family of God, don't you think that his goodness is still there for us to repent? In other words, that even as his family, when we should know better, see as sinners, oftentimes we didn't know any better. But then when we become a part of the family of God, we do some things and we actually know better. But God still is good to us, even when we know better. And sometimes we wonder, God, why are you so good to me? It's because he understands his goodness leads to repentance. He wants you to change your mind about what you're doing and start doing better. Now, he understands that he can punish you to get you to change your mind, but that's not his first resort, especially when you're part of his family. You go through several levels before you get to the punishment level. Now, think think about parenting. When your kids are immature, you reach for the punishing first because they are too immature to understand anything different. So I'll give you an example. When uh, when a ball would go out in the street and my kids were playing in the yard and they were two, three years old, I would say to them, if you go into the street, I'm going to spank you. I couldn't explain to them that, hey, I don't want you to go in the street because you could harm yourself. You could hurt yourself. A car could hit you. So instead of telling all that to them, they were too young to understand. I would threaten them with punishment. Hey, if you go in the street, I'm going to spank you. Don't worry if the ball goes in the street, daddy will go get the ball. If you go in the street, I will spank you. But as they got older, I didn't have to threaten them with punishment because they could understand better. So then I would say, hey, before you go into the street to go after the ball, I need you to look both ways because a car could come and hit you. And if you're afraid, daddy will go and get the ball. But I had to get them to a place of maturity. But once they got to a place of maturity, I didn't have to threaten them with punishment. See, when we are sinners, we have to be threatened with the punishment of hell to understand, listen, you don't want to die like this. Because if you die like this, you're going to end up in hell. But once you come into the family of God and begin to mature, God doesn't have to lead with punishment and threats. He leads with his goodness and he explains things to us and explains, oh, this is why I don't want you doing this and doing this. This is why it's better for you to lead a sexually pure life. This is why I would uh, rather that you would give uh, in order to receive. He explains those things to us as we grow, we understand more. So the more you see God's goodness, it means the more you have actually grown because you've grown to the place he doesn't have to lead with threats and punishment. He can lead you with his love. Now, what religious people will tell you is that 
you always have to worry about God punishing you. But when you're in relationship, you begin to understand that God will often show me his goodness to get me to repent. So as we are understanding, I'm going to bring it back up for a second. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? So Paul is making this statement to the Romans is like, once you have understood and realized God's goodness towards you and that it was designed for you to repent, do you spit in God's face and show contempt for his love, his kindness, his goodness, his, his uh, forbearing, his patience with you by taking his goodness and refusing to repent, by taking and enjoying his goodness and not making shifts and not making changes? The mature person takes God's goodness and says, I'm going to do better because you've been so good to me. The immature person has to have threats and punishments in order for them to choose to do good. The mature person can see God's goodness toward them and say, oh my God, God has been so good to me. Or, oh my goodness, God's goodness is so great. I'm going to adjust my life and I'm going to mature and grow and get closer to God and get better because he's been so good to me. In other words, if this is how mature people act, immature people are different. Immature people, let let me change that. Immature Christians, not even sinners, people who are actually uh, Christians. Immature Christians have this mindset and mature Christians have this mindset. If you could prove to immature Christians that there is no heaven and there is no hell, it's only relationship with God. And they'd be like, oh, okay, shoot, I'm wasting my time. They will go live and do whatever they want. Mature Christians, if you could prove to them there is no heaven, there's no hell, all they have is God, they would say, I still want God. I still want to come to church. I still want to read my word because I'm not serving him for fire insurance or escaping hell. That's not why I'm here. I'm here because he's been good to me. He puts breath in my body. He starts me on my way. I got food on my table. I got clothes on my back. I got a roof over my head. And I attribute that all to the goodness of God. The times that I should have been dead and gone. The times that I should have lost my mind. The times that I was depressed and God turned me around. I'm not really serving God for heaven. Thank God for heaven. Thank God that I get it. But if you can prove to me there is no heaven and there's no hell, I still choose God. That's the mature mindset. The mature mindset takes God's goodness and causes it to lead them to repentance, to always stay with God. Now we'll go through a a story with Peter that shows that we talked about on Sunday. So let's look at that. Luke uh, 5.3, then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. We'll make this point that Jesus asked him to let down the nets, plural, and uh, Peter obeyed, but he didn't fully obey. He let down the net singular. He kind of obeyed the instruction, but not totally, not fully, because at the end of the day, he was a fisherman. Jesus was just a rabbi, the teacher. He knew more about fishing than Jesus did. They've already fished all night. They've got nothing. What he understands is there's no fish here to be, to be seen. Here's something else that I didn't bring up on Sunday uh, morning that I can uh, bring in the Bible study. Another reason why Peter was reluctant to do this, he made this statement, we fished all night. See, in the lake that they were fishing in, the sea that they were fishing in, it was a very crystal clear uh, lake, crystal clear sea. So it was more crystal clear in the daytime At nighttime was the best time to fish because the waters would get cloudy 
and then the fish would not be able to see that you're dropping a net in there to catch them. So they had already fished all night. Daybreak has come, and here's Jesus preaching and the day, and then he says, let out your nets for a catch. And Peter's like, this preacher don't know nothing about fishing because if we put down our nets now, not only have we fished all night and didn't catch anything when it was dark, now the fish can see. They can see clearly in the water. They're going to see our nets, and there's no way they're going to get in there. But, hey, I'm going to at least oblige. He is the preacher, and he has been preaching pretty good. I'm going to let down the net. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Verse six, and when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they begin to sink. Verse eight, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. It is interesting. What happened is that Peter in that moment realized that he was dealing with a man that had power and authority and was at a level that Peter was not at all. And he understood that had he followed the man's instruction, Jesus' instructions fully, he would have got everything without the boat having to sink and him having to call his partners over. He almost lost fish. Now, we don't even know how many fish he lost with the net breaking, but he also understood something in that moment. My sinfulness almost robbed me of a great blessing. All you were doing was trying to bless me, but I thought I knew it all. But even though I thought I knew it all and didn't really follow your instruction fully, you bless me anyhow. You gave me super abundant blessing. So his response was, let's go back to it. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, O Lord, for I am a sinful man, O Lord, or depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He recognized who he was and he was like, I don't even deserve to be in your presence. Fell down to his knees. He humbled himself. Peter had the right response to goodness. If you can receive God's goodness or uh, an example of that, if he was to receive all those fish and was like, yeah, I knew what I was doing. That's why I waited to fish in the morning because I knew the fish would come. And if he would have took credit for what Jesus has done, that would have shown his sinfulness even more. It was shown his pride. He didn't uh, take credit. He humbled himself and he said, oh my goodness, I need to basically worship you because you are so much more advanced than I am. You understand more than I do. Let's go to the next uh, verse. Uh, this is a, a, a mixture of two verses and five, uh, 10 B. So whenever you see those three dots, that means that I have taken a portion of the scripture. I took the A part of the scripture out, goes giving you those three dots, and this is the B portion of uh, verse 10, and then I'm adding verse 11 in it. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. So, that was the right response. They were like, okay, you are great. And then Jesus gave this very powerful point that he was trying to teach them. He said, I'm going to use you to catch men. So I'm showing you my goodness so that you can repent. You did what was wrong, but I'm going to give you what was right, even though you did what was wrong. But don't worry about you doing what was wrong because that's not even the issue with me. My goodness was shown to you so that you would take it and you would catch men, that you would have the same mindset that I'm having towards you. You would go out and be good toward other people and you would cause them to come out of their sin and you would introduce them to me. So from that day on, they followed Jesus, those who were with them. Uh, it was Peter, Andrew, James and John, those four end up following Jesus. Peter and Andrew were brothers. James and John were brothers and they were both fishermen. And so those four disciples came and followed Jesus because of God's goodness. So 
one of the reasons why God wants to show us his goodness is because he loves us and we're part of his family, but also he wants his family to go out and grab other family members. So he's good to us so that we can be good to other people. So God's goodness is vitally important. It's more important than his punishment because his goodness will lean on us to repent. And if we repent, it will show us how to reach and grab other people. All right, let's go on. Let's look at uh, goodness and covenant. So when we understand God's covenant toward us, he's in a covenant with us and it's a blood covenant. Now in the old days, in the old covenant, you would have to have two parties and a blood covenant. One person would cut uh, in their hand. The other person would cut in their hand. They would put their hands together and the mingling and the mixture of blood showed that they were in a blood covenant. The only uh, difference with that and the way God did it is both parties had to hold up their part of the deal. So this person and this person had to hold up their part of the deal. I cut my hand, you cut your hand, and whatever I promise to do and you promise to do, we have to do it. So uh, a lot of times what they would do in the blood covenant, for example, you would say, one one was a farmer who had, uh, let's say they raised corn and vegetables. Another was a farmer that raised uh, uh, bulls and goats. And in order for them to have a meal, they would say, hey, whenever we come together, I will let you have some of my vegetables that I grew. You let me have some of your livestock that you grew. And then we would have both both families would have meat and vegetables. But if one party says, today, I'm not going to give you my vegetables after they've already taken the meat, then that is breaking covenant. That's enough to go to war over that. That was not that's not good. You have to hold up your part. I have to give you my vegetables. You have to give me your meat because we had a blood covenant. It was stronger than a written covenant because a blood covenant is we actually mingled our blood together. So that's what a blood covenant was about. So once again, when you look at goodness and covenant, the point I want to make is Jesus through God, through Jesus made a blood covenant with us. But the difference was he decided he would do all the work. We don't have anything on our side to do. We don't have anything to bring only our faith, only believe Jesus and God did everything on their side of the covenant. Now, the reason well, also why I kind of want to point this out is we have the old covenant and the new covenant or the old Testament in the new Testament in the old covenant or the old Testament. It was you do. Then I will do. God would say, I will be good to you based on how you operate with me. So whenever Israel was bad to him, God would move and lean in with punishment. And it will punish them to the point he would warn them ahead of time. He would say, I want to be good to you. I want to love you. But you have to do X, Y and Z in, for, in order for me to do anything. And they were in a blood covenant, but it was the blood of bulls and goats. They would sacrifice bulls, goats, birds to stay in covenant with God. The priests would do the sacrificing. But God changed and sacrificed his son for us and said, now all you have to do is believe in the old covenant. You had to do all of the law in the new covenant, all you have to do is believe because I poured all my punishment wrath out on Jesus. And when he went to the cross and when I sacrificed him, you were in him when I sacrificed him. In other words, so your old man, your sins died on the cross with Jesus. So we are in a total better covenant than the old covenant. The new covenant is better. And God and Jesus did all the work. God cut covenant with Jesus, but when we believe, we get to be in him and him in us. Uh, that's like a shotgun way of teaching you basically what the whole gospel is, which is the good news that we are in covenant with God and we don't have to do anything but believe. Now, of course, if we consistently sin, God will challenge us, but really all we have to do is repent and believe and we stay in covenant with him and we get to achieve heaven. I mean, it is the the best news possible. And that's why there was such a fight 
when uh, Paul began to teach the good news to the Gentiles, because the Jews were like, this ain't fair. We had to sacrifice every day. We had to circumcise ourselves. These people need to circumcise. And what Paul would say, no, it's all been done in Jesus. It was always done when he went on the cross, he died, was buried. And when he rose again, all of the law is fulfilled. All we have to do is believe in Jesus and we get everything that the old covenant says, as well as the new covenant. So now I'm going to bring up some scriptures of the old covenant and show us that if God promised us this, then it is that much more true now because all the requirements of the law were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Why? Because he came and he lived a sinless life for us. And then he took our sin, took it to the cross. So it's, it's just extreme, extreme goodness. But the reason why is because God wanted a family. He wanted a family. And all he had to choose was from raggedy old humans like us, from Adam and Eve onto us, sinful humans. That's all he had to choose from. But he wanted us that bad that he exchanged his perfect son for imperfect people. But God is so powerful, he cannot be in covenant with sin. He cannot be in covenant with sinful man. So Jesus had to take our sin. So even though we may do sin from time to time, God does not look at us as sinners. He looked at us as his children because he cannot be in covenant with sin. He can only be in covenant with his children. So that's why when Jesus took all the sin on him, the Bible said God had to turn his back on his own son. And Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Well, he had to because Jesus took on all of the sin of the entire world. And I've said it before, and I'll say it again. That means he took on the molester's sin, the rapist's sin, the most heinous evil sin that you can think of. He took it all on, even down to the little sins that we don't think are anything. He took all of that on him and put it on the cross so that God could be in covenant with us. He took our sin. All we have to do is believe. So when you have people who do not believe, they are wasting precious opportunity to be delivered by God because God already paid the price. So that's why us who have received his goodness, we need to go out and be disciple makers and tell somebody else it's free. Your debt is paid. All you have to do is believe. All right. So let's go back to the goodness of the covenant. This is in the old covenant, but it rings even more true for us after Christ's death. Isaiah 54, 13. This is one of the promises that we have in the scripture. Oh, let me, let me, let me say this before I move on. So when we find promises in the scripture, even if they're in the old covenant, we can believe them to be ours because all the good of the old covenant passed through to the new covenant. All the negative of the old covenant died at the cross. So God passed the goodness to us and stopped all of the harshness. So, I mean, God has been so great to us. So whenever we find things in the old covenant, like in the old covenant, it says we're the head and not the tail. You hear me talk about that now because that passes through to us to the new covenant. We got all the benefits of the law without all the requirements of the law. So when we go and reread the Old Testament, it is to remind us of all the goodness that God has given to us. So let's look at that now. All your children shall be taught by the Lord and great shall be the peace of your children. You have the right right now to declare that your children will have peace and your children will be taught of the Lord. No matter what they're in, no matter what they're dealing with right now, this is a promise that you have in the scripture that you can rest on and believe in because God is so good that he will affect you and your children and your children's children. All right, let's go to another verse in righteousness. You shall be established. You shall be far from oppression for you shall not fear and from terror for it shall not come near you. So oppression and fear, terror. So when the pandemic hit and people were really scared of things, you don't have to be scared like the world is scared. You have a covenant with God and on this covenant, you don't have to do anything but believe. And here's the thing. We're believing in the greatest entity in the entire world, which is God. So it's not really that hard. If God says it, I believe it. That settles it. It's really settled 
whether I believe it or not, but if I want to be included and receive something from it, then God said it. I believe it. I lock onto it. I believe it. That settles it for me. So the word of God becomes vitally important, even the Old Testament and the New Testament, because we find promises that we can begin to believe. And what you will find people saying is I'm standing on the word of God. So we have things that we can stand on. Now, even though God is good to us and these things are in our covenant, doesn't mean they come easily all the time. Doesn't mean they come automatically. Many times we have to contend in faith for these things. But if you see it in the scripture, it's something you can have. So this is what people uh, often do, which is wise. They will actually pray the scriptures for their prayer. So they'll say something like this. They say, Father God, according to Isaiah 54, you say that I will be established in righteousness. So God, I thank you for your righteousness. You said that I could be far from oppression and fear wouldn't come near me and terror wouldn't come near me. So God, I'm believing in that. I receive it. I thank you for it. In Jesus name, amen. People actually pray the scripture. It is one of the greatest ways to pray because you're praying what is in the covenant. I'll give you a prime example of that using a scripture like that and standing on the word. So let's say you are going to fly and uh, you get uh, to the airport and you find out that uh, there's been some terrorist act somewhere in an airport and the whole airport is locked down and you're there two, three, four hours. You don't have any news in the information of what's going on. You're kind of fearful. You're kind of scared. And then they come over the live speakers and say there was a terrorist threat, but everything is OK. You can fly if you want to. A lot of people will be scared. And be like I ain't getting on no plane. I'm, I'm scared. I'm going back home. Then you say, no, fear will not come nigh me. Terror will not come nigh me. Oppression will not come nigh me. I'm standing on the word of God. I'm getting ready to get on the plane. Now, you don't have to be foolish. You can ask questions. You can talk to the authorities. Okay, what happened? What's going on? Are you sure we're okay to fly? Yes, we're safe to fly. Everything's okay. All right. I'm listening to what you're saying, but I'm standing on the word of God. God, even if everything is not okay, I'm trusting and believing. Just give, just throwing out a wild example like that of how you can use your covenant because God's goodness has brought us the covenant. And we stand on that covenant. Let's go uh, deeper. Verse 15. Indeed, they shall surely assemble, but not because of me. Whoever assembles against you shall far, fall for your sake. This is just meaning that even though you have a, a, a good covenant, things can still come against you. Things can still try you and test you, but God says, it's not of me. There are some testing of the Lord, but there are some things that are not of me. They're not of God that you don't have to be afraid of. So, and here explains it even more. Behold, I have created the blacksmith who blows the coals in the fire, who brings forth an instrument for his work. And I have created the spoiler to destroy. So in other words, he's reminding us at the end of the day, Everything that we see that is even destructive, I created it to begin with. Now, he didn't create it to destroy us, but there are things that are necessary. So uh, I'll, I'll give you another wild example. There, um, there are a lot of sci-fi stories of people or movies and, and comic books of people who created a robot. And then the robot goes wild and starts destroying things. So usually the hero of the day has to figure out how to get the original creator to go in there and reprogram the robot so everything's okay. So that's a wild example, but here's how I'm connecting it. Sometimes things that God has created have turned into destroyers. Prime example is uh, Satan, who was Lucifer. God created Lucifer and he created him. He changed, and so now Lucifer has become Satan, the devil. He's become our main antagonist. He be, has become our main villain, and he's always trying to mess with us. But at the end of the day, God created him. So God has the cheat code on your villain. So when God wants to shut him down, he will shut him down because at the end of the day, he created him go even deeper. Sometimes Satan wants to work through human beings to get to you. But at the end of the day, that human being is borrowing God's breath. 
And if God gets sick and tired of them bothering you, all God has to do is go hold his breath, that person will drop off the scene. So what God was trying to make them understand, at the end of the day, no matter what's coming after you, I've created everything. I've created the entire world. Now, some things have been perverted and they're used for the wrong thing. But at the end of the day, I own the cheat code for it all. I can stop anything on your behalf. So once you understand that, then this scripture that we always quote makes so much more sense understanding that. Let's go to it. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. No weapon. So the weapon may be formed, but it won't prosper because God was in control of whatever the weapon was. However the weapon became about, God was in control of it. So it won't prosper. So Satan has planning an accident to hit you head on to kill you. But the metal that the car was made out of came out of the ground that God created. So God will just put an angel in between. And then when the police show up on the scene, they'll be like, there's no way you should be alive. But God created everything that was in the accident so he can control everything. So you believe that no weapon formed against me shall be able to prosper. I don't care if the weapon is formed. It will be formed, but it won't work. It won't work against me. Uh, Fred Hammond saying it uh, that way. He said, it won't work. No weapon. But we quote these verses, but sometimes don't understand the backstory. The backstory is, is God has a covenant with us, a covenant of goodness. And once we stand and believe and trust those things, we are going to be okay. Now, before I move on, I know somebody may be thinking, well, I know some Christians who died of accidents and all those things. So what are you saying, Pastor Andre, when uh, good people do seem like they are destroyed? Well, the scripture says we pass from death to life because we love the brethren. See, the greatest enemy that's ever formed against us is the enemy called death. But when we die, we don't die like other people die. We die to a resurrection. Our death is a graduation. Our death is a promotion. So it may look like something on the earth took us out, but all God did was just called our number and, and took us with him. So the weapon didn't prosper. It, it didn't work. It didn't make it because at the end of the day, we still win. I've known Christians who've made a relapse and died of an overdose. And people are like, well, I, I'm sure they went to hell. No, not necessarily. God understood that they relapsed and they went in the wrong direction. He snatches them out before that addiction could do something in them and make things worse. And he pulls them up with him. And so at the end of the day, they won. They didn't lose. So when we are with God, it's true. No weapon formed against us shall be able to prosper. And then uh, verse 17 says it even further. And every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. I, I love that. Let me, let me uh, uh, hit that last part. This is important too, because as we are going through things, so I just talked about death, natural death, but let's talk about spiritual death. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. So some of the things that are formed against us, the weapon that's formed against us is the weapon of sin, not just sin, our own sins. So we're saved, we're Christians, we love God, but sometimes we are, have fleshly responses. Sometimes we do things that are not altogether lovely, correct, right. And what we call that, we call that sin. And so when we sin, the Bible says the wages of sin is death or sin pays out death. Something dies when we live and we continue in sin. So here's another weapon of the enemy. The Bible calls Satan the accuser of the brethren. So first thing, he tries to attack us with stuff. But then he also wises up and says, I don't have to attack them with stuff. They do enough dumb stuff on their own. Look at them. They're, they're sinning. Look at John. John over there sinning. And sin pays out death. So basically, he knocks on God's doors and is like, hey, look at John. He's sinning. He deserves death. And let's go back to the scripture. The bottom of it says, their righteousness is of me, says the Lord. So God looks at Satan and tells Satan, oh, John's not guilty. 
And Satan's like, yes, he is. I've seen him sinning. But God says, no, he has my righteousness. Oh, you mean even when I sin, God looks at me at righteous. Now, do I have to get the sin right? Yes. We're not trying to take advantage of God. The Bible says, should I continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. We're not trying to take advantage of God. But God is so good to us that when we should be guilty, he declares us not guilty. And then when the devil says, no, they are guilty, Jesus, God points to Jesus and the cross. And it's like, no, they're not guilty. They got my righteousness. Now, it's a scripture in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, uh, verse 17 is the one we love, but verse 21 is the one I'm going to pick up. Uh, 17 says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. But verse 21 says, he who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So even though John was sinning, the Bible says that on the cross, God exchanged John's sin for Jesus' righteousness. So John gets Jesus' righteousness. Jesus got John's sin. So even though John was sinning, so to speak, what God does is he says, oh, I've already punished that. I punished that on the cross 2,000 years ago. So John's not wrong. John is right. Now, what happens is now John has to start living right to line up with the righteousness that God has already transposed upon us. And so what that does, that frustrates the devil because he's looking at us and he's saying we're wrong and God's saying we're right. And he's saying, no, we're wrong. And God says, look at the cross. And then G then Satan has to look at Jesus and be reminded that Jesus whooped his tail in hell. And Satan has to go and tuck his head. Now he gets mad and he tries to attack us later. And this is what the only way Satan usually is able to win is what he'll do is he'll get us. I'm, I'm going to pick up this marker. He gets us to pick up the baton and beat our own self up. He can't beat us up for our sin because God says we're right. So he gets in our ear and tells us, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. You're not going to make it. God don't love you. You've done too much wrong. You, 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 you're too sinful. You're going to hell in the handbasket. So then we just start beating our own self up instead. But God wants to give us his righteousness and his goodness. So us focusing on his goodness is important. But this is what will help us this next point. And this is where we're going to close from. This next point is going to help us goodness and connection. So part of God's goodness is to keep us connected to him. And the more we're connected to him, we're not going to pick up our own hammer and beat ourselves up over our own mistakes. We're going to be reminded, no, we're connected to God. God never leaves me, nor does he forsake me. So when in, Satan is in my ear, I say, Satan, the Lord rebuke you because God's on this other side. Remember the cartoons? We had the devil on one side, the angel on the other side, and and they're whispering in our ear. It's it's a cartoon, but it's more true that really God is sitting right there with us and the devil is sitting here. And all we got to do is say, shut up, devil. Listen to God. Listen to what the word says. The word says I'm righteous. I'm righteous. The word says God forgives me. I'm forgiven. Now, will I repent? Sure. I'll say it again. God, I'm sorry for my sin. Help me. I don't want to do that again, but I'm not going to listen to the devil. Devil, get off my shoulder. But Jay-Z said, dust your shoulders off. I'm dusting him off, but I'm accepting God who speaks to me and says, I'm righteous. And God is being good to me and I'm staying connected to him because as I'm, as I'm connected to him and his goodness, it reminds me I'm going to be okay. Remember how we started? His goodness leads us to repentance. So if I am sinning, I'm going to jump on John again, use him as an example. If John is sinning, all he has to do is use the goodness of God to repent. Because God called him righteous when he did shouldn't have called him righteous. And so what John should do is say, God, you treated me as I was right, even when I was wrong. So guess what? I'm no longer going to live wrong. I'm going to be right. If you believe I'm right, I'm going to start acting right. Let's go even further than that. Let's move it outside of sin. If God says I'm blessed, I'm going to say I'm blessed. I may be broke right now. My bank account may be broke. My I may be experiencing poverty. But I'm going to line myself up with God is saying, God says I'm prosperous. I'm going to believe I'm prosperous and I'm going to start looking for a turnaround in my life. Remember last week we talked about he turned it. Same thing. God says I'm healed. 
I'm going to say I'm healed. God says, I have peace. I may be confused. I'm going to say I have peace. I'm always going to counteract what I'm dealing with, with the goodness of God. And I'm going to stay connected with him because when I stay connected with him, I stay connected with his promises and his promises is what gives me the hope and the faith to believe, hey, I'm okay. And it, it gives me the hope and the faith to kick the devil off my shoulder, out of my ear, and lock myself into the goodness of God. There is nothing that can take me out of the goodness of God but me. There's nothing that can pluck you out of God's hand but you. He's got the whole world in his hand, including you. He's got me and you, brother, in his hand. And I'm going to stay in his hand. And in his hand is in his goodness is in his hand. And I'm going to stay with his goodness. A lot of times if we look at life, sometimes when life starts getting rough, it makes us run to God and makes us run to his goodness. So like I always say, we win either way, but we have to stay locked into this. We have to learn it. I have to teach it to you so that you understand there's nothing more important than you being connected to God. Your lifeblood, your strength is being connected to God and connected to the cross and the good news of the gospel. You need somebody telling you what God done for you. You need somebody reminding you, you are in covenant with God and he's a covenant keeping God. And when there's anything in your life that's outside of the covenant, he'll turn it in your favor because he's mm, mm, good to his people. All right, let's let's finish with these verses. Romans 8, 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sore? He's, uh, Paul is recounting some of the things that he's been through, but what he's recounting, he's recounting those weapons that were formed against him that wasn't able to prosper. He's bringing all these things up and we can throw other things in there. We can throw, uh, we can throw anxiety, depression. We can throw, uh, uh, being backstabbed and, and people lying on us talking about, it. we can throw all those things. So let's, uh, bring the scripture back up. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sore or not having enough, or or being on section eight, or being single and not having a man, or or not being able to have children, whatever it is that we are are dealing with. Verse thirty seven. Nay, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. Here's the thing: we can't be more than conquerors if we never have something to conquer. So there will be things formed against us. We will have trials. We will have obstacles. We will have things that we would rather skip. Uh, even Jesus said, I wish this cup would pass from me. We would have, we uh, could have things that we wished we didn't have to deal with, but we do have to deal with things. But no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. How are we more than conquerors? Through him that loved us, through him that showed us his goodness. And so then Paul says, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor, in, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is, Christ, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So Paul began to look at it and say, no matter what it is, it can't separate the connection I have with God. And as long as I have him with me and in me, then whatever I'm dealing with, I'm going to conquer it. I'm going to overcome it. I'm going to outlast it. Some things you don't necessarily get over, you get through, you outlast it. It, it doesn't have the same power that it had on you. When I was thinking not too long ago about the grief I had when my, uh, my closest cousin died and he just died, uh, automatically and so quick, so abrupt. You didn't get a chance to think about it. Didn't get a chance to say last goodbyes. It just happens. He's gone. That grief that comes, it's, it's hard to deal with. But if you just lock into God and stay connected to God, you outlast grief. It doesn't hurt as much 
as it did when it first happened. You begin to grow through things. You can grow through singlehood to the place where you understand, okay, I'm single and maybe I want to be married, but I'm enjoying my singlehood. I'm embracing it. I've outlasted the pain of it. I've outlasted the the talk and the chatter of when you're going to get married and when you're going to have kids. I've outlasted it to where it doesn't pain me anymore because I'm connected to God. When I get married is when I'm going to get married. When I have kids is when I'm going to have kids. I'm not stressing. I'm not fretting over it. I've outlasted the pressure and I'm okay. And I'm praising God anyhow. I'm worshiping God anyhow. You begin to take life by the horns and you begin to control life instead of life controlling you because you understand I'm connected to a good, good father. And this good, good father is going to see me through every up and every down, every mountaintop, as well as every valley. He's God on the mountaintop, but he's also God in the valley. So when I'm in a valley situation, when I'm in a wilderness situation, I don't have to quit on God because he will prove to me he's God in valleys. He's God in wilderness and he will bring me back to the mountaintop. He's God on the mountaintop. He's God when I'm happy. He's God when I'm sad. I stay connected to him. He's good even when I'm going through something that's not good. He's still good and he's still God. He's good all the time. And all the time, God is good. And he finds a way to bring the goodness to it. He shows me the silver lining in every situation. I see the light at the end of the tunnel. I'm able to go through. People look at me and they say, you don't look like what you've been through. Why? Because I've been connected to God. I've been connected to this good God. It's God's goodness and connection. So, uh, these, uh, l- l- let me finalize these things as we, we close. We're, we're at the 730 hour, so l- let us close. But it's God's goodness and his correction. He will correct us with his goodness, his goodness and covenant. He stays in covenant with us and his covenant is amazing. He's so good that he's brought us all the good of the old covenant as well as all the good of the new covenant. And we can stand on any of those things. And then there's goodness and connection. He stays connected to us. On Sunday, we finalize it with goodness and communion, and we took communion. Because after you see all these things, it's your job to desire to stay in communion with God. All right. Let me get us to our prayer. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for the people of God. God, we thank you for what they mean. God, we thank you for your goodness toward those people. Uh, Some of the people who are online, as well as those who are in the building, they have been through challenge after challenge, but you have showed them and some of them are yet in challenges, but you have showed them and are showing them that you are good God. And with your goodness and them connected to you and your covenant and allowing you to correct them, they will be able to truly say no weapon formed against them has ever been able to prosper. You've always brought them out on the winning side. And I thank you for doing that. If there's anybody under the sound of my voice who is watching now or maybe watch later through rebroadcast on uh, YouTube, God, I pray if they are not saved, that you would save them because the good news of the gospel is that you sent your son to die for sinful man and sinful men can exchange their sin for your righteousness. So I pray that those people would ask the righteous Christ to come into their life and live and dwell and that you would take them from height to height, depth to depth and glory to glory and faith to faith. And we thank you for it in Jesus name. Amen and amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. This is Pastor Andre Mitchell of Andre Mitchell's ministry signing off. We love you. We appreciate you and God bless you.